0: I had missed the point, and the point was aimed deep into my own life, into the golden territory of the familiar. At the funeral on Saturday morning, Terry was there, sitting in the back row a few feet from where I stood. At first I didn't see him. Terry's in his sixties now. His black hair is white, but there were the huge sloping shoulders, the same large head, the gold outline of the glasses he has worn these last ten years, as he turned to laugh with the person beside him, some stranger on edge, as we all were, in the dim yellow light of the crowded room. Bob's soft profile like something set in stone, occasionally visible through the rows of people shifting like rows of corn in the wind. When everyone rose to leave after the service was over I leaned forward, and slipped my fingers into Terry's large, rough hand. Well, Susie, he said, all your buddies are gone now. When I was growing up, we thought Terry was a Cherokee Indian. It turned out that he was simply from California, and even though he had a crew cut and was something of a math whiz, and was also, it occurred to me only later, all the while a scientist and chemistry professor at Cornell, he was our only real experience of the 60s. Of an unconventional person. For a large man who could easily have been threatening, he had an atmosphere of total ease, of kindness, and I had taken refuge in the safety of his presence for maybe thirty years. Later, Lan and I drove down East Lake Road where the chyme fields lay in soft, shining squares of pale green oats and darker soy and golden wheat patched like a lovely quilt in a rolling sweep down toward the dark blue line of Seneca Lake. The kine barns and dwarf apple trees and farmhouse, large and white and square, the way the farmhouses are there, with the square-windowed cupola on top where one can sit and see out over the fields, stood by the road lined with maple trees, as they have stood from the earliest days of my life. Beside the bluestone marker just beyond, a gravestone carved in the shape of a dog, a curious antique. A dirt road leads down to Anne and Terry's cottage on a bluff above the lake, the burnt-out shell of an old log cabin of dark wood, polished now and screened so that it recedes within a line of tall white pines and is almost invisible. Anne has cancer and has taken on a kind of translucence after these last months of illness, as though her fine blonde hair were refined to silver. Her blue-green eyes had a radiance that surprised us as we walked in and saw her for the first time in maybe a year. We sat and watched the sun go down across the lake below through the broken black outlines of the trees. The faint flicker of a rainbow formed for an instant in the low sky to the north, as though it were the rim of something suddenly visible, a shining fragment of the rim of a halo. The last light fell in a wave of gold that swept quickly around the room, settling for a moment on each of us in turn. We sat quietly talking in the dark in what seemed like a box of deep blue light, as we had in summers past, so that the evening had about it a sense of timelessness. I reminded Terry of how once he had said that everything operates on the level of four basic elements, they are combining and breaking down. And that we are all just some spectacular sideshow. As though all the desperate suffering of life were simply an elaboration of this basic principle. What is it that makes a human being, he had said? What defines being human? Falling in love. And what is that? Seeing something ordinary as numinous, he thought a moment. Seeing. Seeing. The intensity of that focus, that concentration of energy, would be the heating up in which some significant transformation could take place. Last Monday night, a friend of mine called to say that she had heard a scream, a terrifying, almost human sound, and outside found a newborn fawn, still wet from its mother, and all around it, black vultures in the trees. Bob talked a lot of people out of trees. Terry said, remembering how I first went to him just wanting to be around that kind of man, a hunter, the year my brother died. But nobody was there for him. When we were children, barely able to walk, my parents would take us into the middle of Seneca Lake and toss us off the side of their boat into the deep green water. Although we could float in our life jackets and there was the electric touch of the water itself, The lake seemed dense and bottomless, heavy matter like a skin not easily shaken free. We had an instinctive dread of what could drift up through that heavy medium from below, the immense primordial sturgeon like pale ghosts plated in hard ridges of leathery gray. The lake was something that we knew by heart through our bodily senses as they themselves were formed. In those days there were only simple cottages in the bays, little clabbered houses of one story painted blue or white or gray. The narrow, water-worn docks of splintery wood stretched out into the water on thin pipes rarely more than a hundred feet. The fields behind them glittered with the multiplicity of summer life. Speckled red beetles on the milkweed leaves, the fragrance of the milkweed unbearably sweet, its gummy milk bleeding into our hands. The seed pods, their skin like pale knobby velvet, pulled back to reveal a tight silver-white pattern of satin-rimmed scales. The seeds formed the body of a tiny fish, a fish made of silk you could pull to pieces and float away. When we first came to the cottage it was full of old things a kind of old pine green and teal blue tinged with gray, lined plates of pale blue glass, heavy stoneware, a fieldstone fireplace, and before it, a bearskin rug smelling of bacon grease. And after we were there, mounted fish on the walls. The walleye I had caught in Algonquin Park that was patterned green and gold, with its tall reptilian dorsal fin. How often we would get the spines of fish fins stuck in our fingers in those days and soak them out with Epsom salts. My parents bought the place with all its contents, and there were a lot of old books. Jean Stratton Porter's A Girl of the Limberlost, the story of a girl who put herself through school collecting rare moths in the swamps of Mackinac, and The Keeper of the Bees, about a World War I veteran dying in a war hospital who got up and staggered away and found a garden on the sea, filled with flowers in every shade of blue, a garden filled with skeps and bees. World War I, and after the terrible shock of that war, the solace of the eternal presence of nature, were pervasive elements in the atmosphere of the place. My mother was formed by the aftermath of that war, and the books in the cottage were embedded with the sense of the time like the musty smell embedded in their pages there was one green book the bird study book with a golden moon pressed in relief on its cover and flying across the golden moon a dark flock of geese years later the cover remained like a seal impression in my mind although i had forgotten the book itself one day in new york i called the astronomy department at columbia university and i said Can you see geese flying across the full moon? Their reply, after I was put on hold for a minute, was, Yes, when there are geese flying across the full moon. My brother David became a duck hunter in his early teens. We used to go out in the boat so he could practice sighting the birds in flight at a distance around the lake when the migrations came through in the fall. We were used to seeing flocks of ducks settled on the icy water near the crumbling old stone pier as our father drove us to school in the morning down Hamilton Street. They had a mottled quality that almost shone in the crisp, clean air. They were beautifully patched with white, buffleheads heads and golden eyes among the canvas backs and redheads. One Christmas Eve... David appeared on the porch in the dark in the moss-green hunting jacket my mother had made for him by hand with a brace of canvas backs over his shoulder. My mother would later say, How I remember his Adam's apple bobbing in his throat. David, thin and blonde as he was then, having recently come back as an Eagle Scout from Philmont, which made him even more of an outdoorsman, always up at four, There he stood with the glove-soft white breasts of the duck.